Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis. And I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus. And it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets them thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Welcome to this voyage on the strange boat. My current passenger should really be in charge because one of his many roles is that of a charter boat skipper, but for now at least, I'm still at the helm. Viv Shears has more hats than Dun Co. He's an farmer, as I mentioned he drives a boat, and also has the Angling, Angler's National Line Recycling Service on his CV. I always trip up on that one. So it's quite difficult to know where to start, but in the best interests of my traditional opener, We'll make it at the beginning. Welcome aboard, Viv. Hiya, Keith. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to have you here. Yeah, um, pleasure. Where did this incredible multifaceted journey of start? I mean, with, with a fishing rod in hand? Um, I suppose, yes, yeah. It all stemmed from being an angler when I was younger. Um, I, I never expected to be where I am, really. Um, I, as, a, as a youngster growing up in the West Country... Um, I'm, I'm a country boy through and through, and um, but I had crazy hay fever. But um, I was reasonably good at school, and um, I, I decided I wanted to be a vet. That was that was my sort of dream ever since I was probably four or five years old, and sort of wore, worked my way through education to that, do, doing my A levels. But sadly, I missed out um, by one or two grades, and sort of got to I think I was 18, and suddenly went, "What am I going to do with my life, really?" and um, 
I've I've got a lot to thank for uh, the careers advisor at me at me secondary school um, as I sort of went in to see her with head in hands going I don't know what I'm going to do um, and she said what do you do for a hobby and I went well I go fishing really and um, and yeah that's where it started really and then yeah sort of looked around for sort of I looked at marine biology uh, down at Plymouth Uni and then um I sort of went for an interview down there and got offered a place and I came back uh, in, into sort of school and, and or A levels I suppose, uh, college whatever you want to call it but um, and she went oh there's this, there's this agricultural college up in up in Hampshire called Sparshell and they do some fish courses and I looked at it and I went well yeah sort of freshwater fishing was my thing, I'd done a bit of sea fishing as a youngster but um, yeah that was where it really started Keith to be honest so sort of headed up to up to the big lights of Winchester and they were big lights for a little country boy like me and um and yes yeah, studied studied fisheries management and aquaculture or fish farming right, um at Sparshelt for three years and that was really the beginning of the journey right? but yeah certainly it was angling that led me to where I am without a doubt and, and how did you first pick up your fishing rod when, when was when did that particular trade start um, I, I was, I'm trying to think, I was probably 11 or 12, um, and sadly, my, my, my dad, uh, passed away at that age, and, um, uh, so he was only early 40s, really, and the, the big C got him, uh, and, um, and a friend of the family, Fred, um, he came round and took me and my younger brother, who's at what eighteen months younger, Julian is than me, and um, and he said, right, I'll take the lads out for um, to get them out of the house while Mum was dealing with what she was dealing with, really, and um, and so we ended up going down to West Bay right, and um, just fishing off off the off the cob there and yeah I remember catching some sprats and I think we caught a mackerel and perhaps a micro pollock I think um and that was that's the beginning really but um sort of mum uh we were we were 25 30 miles from the coast where we lived in Somerset and um um mum I, I got the bug absolutely as as did my younger brother and um and we were like every spare minute we wanted to be fishing and mum sort of went well I ain't driving you down there all the time and and so I sort of joined the local angling club um, I had a friend that like a couple of friends that did a bit of fishing that were my age and and yeah started fishing the local ponds and rivers and stuff like that um, in Somerset and and then really from there sort of got into me match fishing really um when I was sort of 15 16 sort of junior matches and then opens and stuff like that and uh yeah sort of loved that really for uh three four years ended up fishing sort of for the uh un, like the youth club under 21 nationals and stuff like that and yeah really really loved it like had had a good few years doing that um and then I went to Sparshall. Uh, well, I moved to North Wales. So I had to do a year's work experience before I, I um, 
went to went to Sparshell. That was one of the prerequisites. Then you had to do a year's work experience to to make sure you were cut out for the industry because it's definitely one that sounds very glamorous. What we do, Keith, um, but you you'll have seen it certainly. It's it's not all glamorous like fish farming and and fisheries management really. So um, so I went up to North Wales, and at the time I wasn't driving, so um, that sort of put pay to the to the match fishing side of me, and then going down to sort of Winchester and into that Hampshire and Surrey area really where carp fishing was like a massive massive thing really and and very oh absolutely absolutely and uh, a lot a lot of the other guys on the course there they were there was there was a lot of few guys that sort of I would call pleasure anglers or mixed specimen hunters really um but a lot of the guys were carp fishermen and to go fishing I had to go carp fishing so um yeah, so spent a few. I think my first ever carp fishing trip was, or serious carp fishing trip was uh, down at Sway Lakes, down in the New Forest, in February half term. I think like, what a way to start carp fishing. Like, and I remember waking up with frozen sleeping bags, like, um, sleeping under a, a match umbrella on a on a, lef- a very old sun lounger that I'd probably found in a skip or something like that. But um, but yeah, and then it sort of went from there, like really and. Yeah, led me um, to fish for lots of things, and still thoroughly enjoy it. I think I'm. I think I've gone full circle now, Keith. I've sort of, I've done me carp fishing, and I just enjoy chasing loads of different things now, as as we'll probably find out later on. Quite the opposite of a baptism of fire, then you had a baptism of icicles. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I was obviously made made to work out in the cold weather, right, as as we spend every winter harvesting doing that, and. Um, yeah, I've I've now got to go and try the tropics and try and catch some some very warm water big game fish. Really, that's that'll be the next excursion for me. I think so. It is. A, I mean, luckily I've been there, and and um, the the real big fish, um, the real big game fish, I was introduced to quite late on the Marlin World Cup. In I think, well, a little bit later anyway. But I, I did the warm water stuff in the Florida Keys first, and yeah. uh, and then the Marlin World Cup and Marlin fishing. Catch one and then do something more interesting because marlin fishing isn't that interesting. It's the most boring fishing in the world until the line comes out of the clip. Oh, absolutely! And then yeah, it I... becomes the most exciting fishing in the world. Yes, you yeah. Know, you've got this thing incredible. of indeterminate size and indeterminate distance away from the boat, taking off and going into orbit several times. It's uh, yeah, it, it, it's quite enlightening when you. How does that bloody thing get out of the water like that? Because yeah, big, yeah. Really. Yeah, that that was really my first. T- I, I was very lucky. Um, uh, just before COVID, uh, Rob, who I run the the charter boat with, um, uh, he's got a, an American friend that's uh, got a boat in Madeira. So we we headed out oh. there for a trip. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what was that? Yeah, yeah, the July before COVID. Well, I can't even remember what year it now it was then, but yeah, it was. Probably. That's there we go. Yeah, thanks, Keith. I, I lose track of when COVID started. Now it's um, um, and yeah, and obviously Madeira is a, a a real hot spot for big fish out there, and uh, all I went for was just to see one. I thought, well, if I can see one come up come up and amongst the the pattern on the lures and stuff like that then that would do me we were only there for four days and I think the previous season the boat it'd been really hard over there I think they hadn't caught many fish and um and because I was the newbie like Robert caught Marlin before um I was on the first rod and we went out and within an hour we lost one of about 700 pound um and I'm thinking 
oh crikey there's my chance gone but just to see the take was just incredible like yeah. cause we were um bait and pitching right so oh yes yeah. like yeah so they, we were getting them right up to the boat um just yeah like yeah like i said the adrenaline rush like is just incredible <laughs> when you see fish that size chasing chasing the lure and then uh yeah so i thought well that's my chance gone i'm gonna lost one and they went no no you stay on the rod like we're, we're here to catch you one and um and about oh, th- probably within three quarters of an hour keith we um we we had another take and this this fish just greyhounded away from us and um Adrian the skipper and Rob just went oh my god that's huge right and I, I was sort of like like they well there was a 900 pound figure thrown around the boat and I'm sat there going oh, no I can't no this is uh, and uh, like the hook hook fell out after about three or four minutes of that but there wasn't a lot of line left on the reel at that stage so I was sort of slightly relieved uh, and um and then yeah an, an hour and a half later we had another take and I landed a 750 right uh, so um so I think that's probably my marlin fishing done I think yeah. because to go and do that and we were there yeah we were there four days i think we raised oh, 11 fish in four days we landed six um uh, rob amazing. rob had a seven uh yeah i had the 750 and then rob took the rod he had an 850 so we had yeah f- like four fish in a day and um, or four four rises uh, and um yeah just so I, I don't think i'll be able to match that if i go and try marlin, marlin well, fishing again but uh, I fished the Marlin World Cup in Mauritius for six years, fished five days each year, and in the time I was, the boats I was on, the time I was on them, which is 30 days in total, we caught four Marlin. Really? Yeah. I... yeah I mean, I, 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 we lost one. I lost one. I was in the chair. When I say I lost one, um, it dropped the bait. It was it was a right. live baiting, which is even worse than, than trolling. Yeah, and, yeah. We were actually trolling a live bait and a dead bait. Um, and, and you don't even troll them quick. You troll them at, like, tick over speed. And suddenly the line all started pouring off the reel and, and, and the guy went, oh, Marlin, 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 bully, 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 bully. And they bushed the motors into gear to yes, set the hook. Set the hook. Yeah, so you're yeah. going one way, the fish is going the other way, and as you say, line is melting off the reel. And then eventually he said, oh, ing, ing. I've started winding, 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 there was nothing there. Um, and, and the bait was badly marked, so it was eventually got one on a lure. And, and it, it's reasonable fun on a lure because I didn't, I actually worked. You know, you could sack the mate, and I'd say, right, I want this one in, I'll put that one on shotgun, and why don't we do this? And, you know, so I was fiddling about, and, um, and I saw the strikes that I had, I saw all three of them. So that, that was at least one thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so well, you didn't do bad then, did you? Catch no, one? I, yeah, I've done, I've done that. Yeah, I, I, th- I must have trodden something on on in the airport, I think. But um, yeah, I've no doubt I'll go back out there again. Right? Um, uh, it's it's stunning, and I think, to be honest, looking at like the other options out there in terms of sort of the tuna and um, some of the sort of well, they don't fish for anything else out there really. But right, there's there's so so many. Yeah, like certainly chatting to people out there there's like huge topes or well over 100 pound and yeah. massive stingrays and yeah. um 
And the butterfish, the groupers, the amberjacks on the way. Yeah. There's all, all sorts Absolutely. of creatures. Absolutely, yeah. These volcanic yeah. islands are alive mm. with fish, but when you've got marlin, that's yes. what you advertise. That's what everybody goes there for. If it's yeah. Too windy, you go out in the lee and drop down the edge, but... Yes, know, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's massive opportunities, and um, I think probably, well, just thinking of the English market, right, um, I know loads of guys that would love to go out to Madeira, and the mm. cost of marlin fishing is is prohibitive to a lot of people, obviously. But um, it, it's, I think you could you could run some amazing charters just fishing for those other species out yeah. there. I think like that, that, that a lot of us us English like fellows would and ladies would love to like sort of experience i think and just well just madeira is lovely as well right? it's just such a, a pleasant place to be right? lovely lovely people and stuff like that so yeah it won't be my last visit certainly keith but <laughs> one of my friends here he uh, crewed for two or three years in madeira okay. he crewed with the legendary peter wright and he uh, yeah he was running a boat there and um yeah he had he had a great time and, and you know he he didn't get to fish mm. except when the people on the rod had either had enough or were frightened, and, and yes. people get frightened of these fish. Oh, the poor old Tony had to sit there in the chair and you know do the hard bit. Do the do, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> they they're incredible. Like I, I must admit, sort of when I had that that seven fifty, I was it I was exhausted. I've, I haven't got the mm. best shoulder in the world, and sort of got up there and um, and sort of looked over because it was all like we release everything, um, and yeah, I sort of looked at it and went. Christ, that's huge but then actually when when rob had the 850 well, it was probably an hour later i was feeling slightly human again right? and um and i was up on the flybridge and pretty much just watched and videoed the whole fight from the flybridge yeah. and um and i probably enjoyed that more keith to be honest um but what i've started to realize in in my fishing life is that I, I don't actually fish very much anymore but um i love being out on the, on the chart boat teaching people the methods that we use um and obviously sort of we, we were very lucky last year we we were one of the licensed tuna boats um uh, so we headed down to the west country in uh september and october and um yeah we caught some amazing but just just crewing on boats like that that's yeah. that's where the fun is for me keith right? just skippering like you said playing around with lures colors right trolling speeds right? yeah. patterns and stuff like that is that's that's where the real buzz for me i think is is, is coming that way really same as bass fishing right? i just love taking people out and watching them learn and and sort of catch fish of a lifetime really that's that's a huge oh, buzz i actually i actually more than half agree with you there i think as, as most people know I, I, I used to go on an annual boys trip to florida we were out there for two weeks and so i love catching my fish i love catching my tarpon and catching a sailfish but when you help someone catch their first tarpon i mean normally it means me hooking one and giving them the rod until and i don't mind if they lose it then the great thing is they've lost my fish yes so it's yeah not important yeah, when that because I want when they hook their fish, I want them to land it or them to get it absolutely. For release. Yeah, the full so experience. So if they can, you know, waste a couple of mine because I can go. I've, I've without being blasé, I've caught hundreds of tarpon and I've caught many tarpon over a hundred pounds. So it's not. It's, it's still a big thing, and I get a massive thrill every time I hook one. But I've done it all a lot. So I hook one, and the skill is in, in how we used to fish for tarpon in Key West is hooking them, 
um because the skipper helps with the fight following the fish and you know you're up the front on the and and, and but then giving them the rod and letting them experience that thrill for the first time and not being they get really upset because they've lost my fish and i I laugh it off (laughs) and and it is it's 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 a fantastic thing and one of the guys who came with us tim he's he'll he'll be listening to this he um he never caught a sailfish and i didn't know that on one day we were blessed with this captain that the group i went out with used to hire different captains and they used to get us to train them (laughs) well if they had an experienced captain they would put him either with me or Roy Marlow for a day so we could give them an, an estimate of what they were like. So they gave us this guy who was the big offshore expert. So we went and we we're only in light tackle boats. So we went out and, and I said, well, let's have a look for a sailfish. We went out to the reef, trolled along, didn't see anything. There's a weed line, didn't see anything. Got down to a wreck, fish for wrecks. Every time amberjack we hooked a shark took. So he didn't know how to anchor the boat for yellowtail fishing. So we came back and I said, free jumping selfish. Yeah, selfish, selfish. Oh, it's too deep. I said, no, 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 it's too too shallow, too shallow. I said, no, no, honestly, it isn't. We're 127 feet. I've caught more selfish under 120 feet than over. So anyway, he didn't didn't stop. We were only cruising, looking at the weed line. And I saw another free jumper and insisted that he stopped. The two guys put live baits on, one one side of the boat, only a little, little um, threadfin herring, one one side of the boat, one the other. And I said to him, now, all you're looking for is a bin liner bag. You're looking for a trash sack under the water, because that's what sailfish look like in that blue water. With the sail up, they look like a misshapen black mass. And Tim said, is that one? And I said, yeah, that's one, that's one. And it lit up, and we watched it come up and eat his live bait. I said, now, close your eyes and count seven. And, and 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 take your finger off the reel, and he got up to seven. I said, right now, put the reel in gear. He, he put it on on a spinning reel. So he put the put the bail arm over it. Went splash, 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 and that was and that was his first and only sailfish. So you know that that made my day. I've I've, I've not caught hundreds of sailfish like I've tarped. I've caught a few, um, but yeah, but to see him and, and the the look on his face the, and, and the emotion in his face when we got it out of the water for a couple of seconds and held it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and when when we took the boat down for the tuna last year, we we had a couple of days out there and not caught anything, and we were sort of we were getting the the feel of it, Keith. You know, it takes you mm. like a little while to sort of suss these any any new species out. Um, we we had a very good idea, and we worked with some brilliant sort of guys that have caught a lot of tuna um, out there as well, and and we had. Yeah, we had a cancellation, the guy that was supposed to be coming out with us, because we've only got a small boat, like 23 foot, the same as you would have fished out in the Keys, like a little 23 foot centre console. And um, and, um, we had um, one of the observers from CFAS, Joe, uh, was out on the boat with us because we had cameras and all that to make sure that we were treating the tuna well, playing them properly and releasing them because we catch, it's catch tag and release uh, on the program there and um and we yeah the guy cancelled the night before um had had something major come up and um we were like well we can't go fishing we need an angler plus two crew plus plus the observer was coming out with us and we were like so i just i phoned my younger brother julian and really he sort of he he probably fishes now and again but he sort of lost the the love of fishing sort of in his 
late teens, I guess, um, got into his shooting and stuff like that. And um, I said, what are you doing tomorrow? He went, well, not a lot. I said, right, you've got to be in Plymouth for right, seven o'clock. Right, you're going tuna fishing. Right, and and we went out there, and it was it was a pretty choppy day. Like it was as as as, as rough as you'd want it on our boat. And um, and we were out, and we found some fish, and another boat caught one near us. And um, and then yeah, we had we we hooked up on because we we're just trolling squid bars. Right? And I I was just leant back looking looking at the lures right, and um and literally just saw this tuna come up through the crest of the wave like and just absolutely <laughs> obliterate the squid right, and um and yeah like and my brother's like oh my god like, and he's i think probably my brother's pb might be a seven pound carp or something like that <laughs> and, um, and like we just strapped him into this thing and it's just taken about i don't know 500 meters of line and yeah. and stuff like that and, and we played it and um i was sort of holding onto the harness sort of stood behind him and just sort of like he was sort of like am i doing it wrong and i'm like no like, that's the thing with well you know yourself with those big fish keith just don't panic that's the key yeah. with it isn't it it's just take your time with them and and don't do anything silly um and, pull at uh, the right time as well yeah yeah and there the... are many people that when the fish runs when it stops running they wait for it to run again yeah 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 absolutely and, and, it's, it's, you know i always yeah. say to, to people i'm fishing with when it stops it's your turn you know and and, and make make it work make it work for every inch of line you've got to keep it moving because I, I learnt that in Kenya with a giant trevally on, on the side. I was leaning over the side of the boat and, and the, the, the guy said, do you want a harness? I went, no, nah, no, nah, I'm all right. And, and I wound, this is on 50-pound gear, right. proper gear. Yeah, yeah. So I wound down until the rod was on the gunnels, lifted, and nothing happened. The fish didn't come up. And I could see it, like 40 or 50 feet down, swimming with two of its mates with those big old petrels out, and it... It wouldn't do anything. And so I'll pull a bit harder. So I wound down until the tip of the rod was under the water and leant back and tried again. And then I said, let's try that harness a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> and I strapped myself in and still, still stand up, but it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, You've got to yeah. Pull. You've got to oh, pull. yeah. Absolutely. At the right time. And yeah. Like, yeah. My brother did really well, actually. Right? Um, and, and we got up and it, we, we just got to the leader right? um, and we saw. Sort of just managed to touch it right and then it it powered off and the hook pulled like i mean my brother was like because that that would been the first tuna to the boat and i thought well that would been amazing for it to be sort of my brother as well yeah. and and we, like and it's fishing you lose fish keith as you know like very often mm -hmm. and um and my brother's like oh my god he was devastated and like it took him quite a few days like he kept texting me going i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm like hey it happens like we went out a couple of days later and caught some more right so we we soon knocked that rust off the off of us really and like um but yeah that that just being sort of there chatting to him as he was sort of harnessed playing the fish and stuff like that and i actually thought actually this is what i enjoy really and i uh, um just watching uh, and all the other clients that came out with us over the the next uh, couple of weeks um i think we end up with 10 or 11 tuna i think um up to sort of 420 pound and um not loads compared to some of the other boats but um it was it's just amazing and this this again it's about enjoying the sights and sounds that you experience in fishing keith as well i think um unfortunately a lot of 
a lot of fishing now is just about well it shouldn't be called fishing it should be called catching for a lot of people right um or or social social media likes as well right? yeah and stuff like that and and we we went out one day um and i don't know we were 20 miles out something like that and and literally there was like we could see some commotion going on with some seagulls. We thought they were following a trawler to start with, and we were like, no, they're past the trawler. And we went out there, and we found a massive shoal of tuna, Keith. It was, they were probably spread over three-quarters of a mile, right? and the, the numbers of fish out there are just beyond belief now. Um, and, uh, well, they... they, they they've been increasing every year for the last five years but um there are a lot of little fish there in this in this shoal but they were still 100 100 to 300 pounders aren't they um yeah, and, nice and just just like we had we saw minky whales dolphins like gannets all that sort of stuff and there was gannets diving around the boat and it was it, i felt like david attenborough for a for, for a moment in time who's one of my absolute heroes right? and um and then yeah, then a fin whale came up like, about 30 metres away from the boat, and you're thinking, yeah, that's probably three times the length of our boat, right, and stuff like that. And, and, yeah, we caught three tuna. I think we had two or three tuna that day because right, um, they were feeding on tiny white baits, so they were incredibly hard to catch on the on the squid lures that were, we were allowed to use. And um, and But we all came back in and just went, wow. Right, you just went. It didn't matter if we caught one that day. Really, we were just there, and yeah. and catching the fish was a bonus. And I, I think that's yeah. I, I think that's what people need to go out there and and if they catch a fish, it's a bonus nowadays. Like and just enjoy what's around them because I think we miss an awful lot from inside a bivy or um, or you're looking at your iPhone when you when you sat on the river bank or something like that. Um, I think I think that's yeah. If you look around, it's a amazing we're very lucky as anglers right, in terms of Absolutely. what we see and what we witness right, in, a, in our fishing lifetimes really well I, I can probably plug my book because i don't think there's any left for sale but that's why i wanted to call my book the best excuse for loafing in the countryside <laughs> um, unfortunately the um, the publishers had made me call it fishing the best excuse for loafing in the countryside i'd rather have left it uh, left it without the, the, that fishing reference but yeah it's um it's an amazing thing, and I, I know, and we'll just now go to your your next hat, and we'll put the um, the fish breeder's hat on. And the last time I met you, you were saying that this year we're hoping we'll have our first sixty, and and then we had have, and and you're you're not saying that you're you're, you're saying that as someone that's bred the fish, not hoping to catch it. Oh no! You're no. hoping somebody else catches it. And, yeah, and, ab- absolutely. Um, ironically, well, we, we, myself and Simon Scott, who, 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 we we started VS Fisheries back in oh, 2005, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been going 16, 17 years. Um, and yeah, ironically, I've never actually caught one of my carp. Right. Um, like yeah, and we've stocked hundreds of thousands of them around the country now, and um, yeah, I've never never actually caught one of my fish. I probably should put that right, but um, I know where there's some you can catch. They're not very big. <laughs> yes, indeed. They, we put a few in there, didn't we? So I, I ate last week on tears. Oh really? Oh fantastic! Well, they've settled in then. That's brilliant news. In amongst thirty or forty nice roach, but uh, oh yeah. fantastic! Yeah, trust the carp to ruin the party. Right? Yeah, the vandals <laughs> that they are. Right? Um, but yeah, yeah, that's like um, 
yeah we've had we've had several sort of 50 pounders now um that we've we've spawned on the farm like so we've known them not individually since they were eggs but uh, we know the batch of fish uh, um and yeah there's certainly yeah there's two two fish out there um that that could well break the 60 pound barrier and they'll those fish will be oh, 13 14 years old uh, um which is just and that's the biggest buzz like it it it's not all about big fish um in terms of people sending us pictures in uh, if it's a if it's a stunning fully scaled or something and it's a 30 pounder that's as as valuable to me as a as a 50 pounder uh, um from another lake and it's all relative uh, and that's mm. i always say to customers like uh, yes we're going to put fish into lakes that will grow 60 pounders like they've got the potential to do that in the right environments and but some other lakes like if you get a 30 pounder that's brilliant for the environment they're in there but looking looking at your fish and and i'm lucky i've seen them at various stages of development we once filmed at um at the at sparshot with 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 um simon yeah yeah and, and and saw some some of the fish down there but you you don't you don't breed big kippers, do you? That the fish that you produce are the most stunning-looking carp, even at three inches long. That you, uh, I think, yes. it, it, it's possible to get. I mean, if if you magnified that photo, and 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 had them up to, to make it look like they were two and a half feet long, that their Terry Home would want to fish for them because they're such. Mickey Gray would like them. They're beautiful, beautiful looking fish. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's it's something like we we often say it like when we like probably as much as when we start the harvest, we start with the bigger fish on the farm, and we're, we're harvesting fish between sort of five and thirty, thirty low thirties. I am, and it's it's always exciting to see how they've got on every summer, like after the summer's feeding them, um, but actually one of one of the most exciting times for us is when we harvest the fur the, the fry at the end of their first summer because those fish some of those could be with us for the next six years right? and mm-hmm. you sort of go and you think that's six six winters of sales of those that, that as they as they get older um and you're like oh my god that's the batch right then we've we've absolutely hit the jackpot with with those brood stock because we we breed everything in house here at vs fisheries and um so simon uh well we'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks yeah sort of middle of may that we'll be sort of spawning here and um and yeah and it's it's something i <sighs> I like to think that we produce a real variety of carp because there's like scaly carp are without doubt the ones that catches everyone's eye. Like if you've got a, a batch of a hundred fish, like the fully scaled will be the one that everyone goes, Oh wow. Like, but then I, in, in terms of my fishing, uh, um, for carp, I like a real variety. Like if, if you've got a lake full of fully scaled, then they ain't special when you catch them right yeah. and i'm i'm a, right, and what we've certainly we've always tried to do here at vs is is produce a variety so if someone phones up and goes oh viv can i can i have some plain ones like just some plain mirrors like big shouldery things and um they're very often the ones that will grow very big and things like that but then we'll get other people go we've got um loads of commons so we just want mirrors um and but then yeah we'll get people say oh we've had loads of plain fish in the past can we have some scaly ones so 
what we try and do is make make sure they're available um to all our customers um but yeah certainly the the little ones like the, that that's the exciting part they're just they're they're like brand new pennies and they're at the start of a very long journey and hopefully end up being very big and make a lot of people very happy so that's that's the biggest buzz certainly getting those photos from from anglers three four five ten years down the road uh, um um since we stopped them right uh, and then now they've got a few scars and they've they've sort of they've Developed darkened off yeah absolutely right uh, and um and yeah and just seeing them uh, you just think wow that's 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 job done really so i'm i'm looking forward to a long retirement uh, um uh in like a few years uh well yeah in a few years and just sit there and um just go like well whether i don't know whether we'll have magazines in 10 15 years times keith but i think yeah just to be able to probably look at me iphone 97 version or whatever it is by then and and go god i remember the day i stopped that one as a 10 pounder right? and it's now 60 pound like that that that's the buzz right? um yes it's it's a business um it pay it has to pay the bills keep the lads employed and stuff like that but um it's a passion right? and I, I love uh really i love i've always loved running fisheries i, I used to work at rmc as um for five years running their massive portfolio of fisheries and i loved it i absolutely love that side of it and um i I suppose I've got the best job now because I, I haven't got the um, um, the hassle of dealing with anglers. <laughs> so like I, I can go to a fishery stock it, chat to chat to the owners and the bailiffs and um, give them advice and help them sort of make their lake better and and then watch it all happen really. So um, it's... any anglers listening to this, that wasn't you that Viv was talking about. No, no, no. no Viv I... quite liked it when he met you. Like you told me, yeah. So. <laughs> no, I, I, anglers in general, Keith, they're 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 all decent people out there. But um, it's, I, I suppose, I I could probably never work on a day ticket because I couldn't be asked how, what the best bait is, what the best swim is, and probably well the most common question for any fishery manager was what's the biggest fish in here mister i suppose uh, um, well, I, I didn't get that question often asked on tight lines but what's the best bait for carp was one of the biggest questions where can i catch a 30 pound carp and bear in mind tight lines finished seven years ago so i'm going back 10 12 15 20 plus years ago and my answer to that was when you're ready to catch a 30-pound carp, the last person you need to ask where to catch one is me. Because you will know already um, when, when, you're, when you're ready to do it. And, and, but you, you mentioned to me when, when, when you, you very, uh, Viv um, very kindly donated uh, some, some tiny little carp, um, which were what we wanted to uh, get some fishing with charity I'm Trevor Trustees of, and, and, and he very kindly donated some that have now got a lovely new home in, um, in in West London, where they're they're really enjoying themselves, they look in 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 peak trim. I said, but you mentioned when you stock them, two magic words for carp anglers: Sutton and Leany. Yes, just, yeah. Just explain those two words to us, if you can, um, in in reasonably sensible English. Yeah, well, they're they're really their their bloodlines of 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 carp, right? So. Um, the leany carp are ones that, from a sort of uh, UK historical sort of sense, they they came over with Donald Leany, um, and he stocked them around the country before carp were even known about really over here, and uh, in terms of a recreational 
sort of fish to target um and and that mystery stayed around for a long time right? they were they were supposedly uncatchable weren't they but um so yeah they went into a um uh, like the famous obviously the red mire pool um where Chris Yates had his record and Richard Walker and all that sort of stuff. So there's there's a long history with them and they're they're what people I guess would class as a very historic looking strain. So they're relatively long, like scaly creatures, not sort of the deep sort of belly, fat bellied ones that um you see in, in with some other bloodlines and stuff like that. So we were very lucky to get some original leanies uh, or descendants of uh, um, those original fish and um, the same and we use those as broodstock and the same with the Sutton fish um, back when I was uh, back at RMC so that was oh, late 90s early 2000s um, uh, Simon, Simon was at Sparshot and I got to know Simon through him bringing students up up to work on the fisheries um around Yateley and London around the Raysbury area hall and all that sort of stuff and and we decided that we want to try and spawn the Sutton fish because they've got a, a huge pedigree um in terms of producing big fish in the lake where they were but what many people know about the history of Sutton like which is over um at Sutton at home in Kent um in I think it was, was it 1976 was the drought year, Keith? I was only three. 76, I mean, yeah, 76, yeah, I'm a youngster. Yeah. Years, yeah. And um, the, the the little pit um, is only a couple, two and a half acres, three acres, like Sutton. Uh, it dried up and, and they rescued the fish and they moved them down to a, a relatively unknown lake called like Yateley. Uh, um, <laughs> um, and one of those fish that got moved was uh, what turned out to be Basil. Um, Basil, the, the famous North Lake fish that um, yeah. was mid-40s and probably, I would say, probably the most the most well-known carp ever i would say i would say definitely better even known than clarissa which was the one that richard walker caught i mean basil made the national news when it died television and radio and 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 um, newspapers and everything yeah and and ironically when i was basil was um was alive for the first 18 months when I when I started the job at RMC um, and, and sadly the first time I ever saw her actually on the bank was the day that she was found dead um, but I remember oh, probably six eight months prior to that um, she'd been caught and the the national press had got hold of it and they phoned phoned me up and went oh we want to come and do some filming blah 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 and said oh can you just arrange for Basil to be on the bank like when we come down we've only got an hour but that'll be plenty of time won't it to um to uh get her out and they it made me chuckle they just assumed we could just snap our fingers and basil would like appear like um for the cameras and i sort of had to explain and she was like well, surely it'll come out again very soon. It's like, well, no, it could be another year. And they, they didn't quite grasp that. But um, they wanted to, yeah, the the journalist wanted to see Basil on the, on the bank. Um, but yes, we had to let him down gently on that one. But, um, yes, but it's, yeah. And then like, so so the sort of the, the Sutton fish. And basically when, when in 76 with the drought, just before they move move the big fish that are in there, so Basil and, and that cohort, um, 
they spawned and um, all the little fry were left in there and they managed to survive the summer in, in very little water and they grew into the, the big fish that were there in the sort of 90s, early 2000s, like the blind eye and like, the, the big fully and all that sort of stuff. So we were lucky that um, when I was at RMC, we, we took some of those fish from Sutton, spawned them and then reintroduced them into a lot of the RMC lakes and, and we kept a few as broodstock at and and we still use that bloodline now in our fish that we produce along with other bloodlines like the uh, one of the one of the most recent ones we've added to it is the Harrow Wotonian fish. Um, oh yeah. Right. So, and they're they're big plain mirrors relatively, Keith. They're they're not that exciting to look look at, but their their growth potential and those carp anglers out there listening to this will certainly they'll know like about some of the very big fish that were around sort of in the early 90s and stuff like mm. that um that were were significantly bigger than a lot of other fish that have been reported uh, um so they've got a great great pedigree behind them so so yeah we use those and what we'll do we'll, we'll cross cross those bloodlines as well um because when you when you cross a distinct bloodline with another um very often the offspring uh, the first generation crosses of that of those bloodlines um are actually exhibit a lot of the the best traits of their parents really mm. um but uh, again if you if you in, if you keep inbreeding them then that can cause you problems uh, as we've mm. seen with dogs like breeds of dogs and stuff like that if you keep inbreeding them to certain pedigrees uh, and things like that like the alzations have fallen apart haven't they they're from what yeah, they were originally yeah yeah but interesting you say that because um when if if you consider other cyprinids, not necessarily carp, you look at roach bream hybrids, they demonstrate the best of both roach and bream. A roach bream hybrid fights considerably harder than any roach or any bream. And, and, and they've got the same strength and don't, they grow to a fair size as well. But I, I, what do you think about um, the new strains of hybrid carp, by which I mean synthetically crossing well they can be naturally done as well synthetically crossing say goldfish with king carp goldfish and crucian carp to a degree or crucian carp with with king carp because i remember the first fish described as f1s and no fish should ever be named after a motor race um the the the, the first fish described as f1s were crucian carp crossed with um brown goldfish i believe or sorry crossed with king carp and we were told they wouldn't grow bigger than four pound and they couldn't breed and some of those um ian heaps had down his lovely fishery down in wales and and i don't think they ever grew over four pound the last time I was down there, you wanted, I think he said you wanted 75 to weigh £100. And, and the fishery then was 20 years old. The fish had been in sit that long. But I've seen brown goldfish king carp hybrids, which are the current F1s, despite the people saying they're crucian, they're not crucian. They're brown goldfish and, and, and king carp. I've seen those double figures. I've seen, seen them £11. And I, I know people that... that actually breed them from two F1s. 
So they're not sterile, they, they, and because we, we were told they wouldn't breed. And um, how great's that as a fish farmer? Right, we're going to supply you with fish that they're the only fish you're going to be able to buy in the future, and they don't breed. Yes, yeah. And and there are thousands and millions probably stocked every year in fisheries around the country. Oh, massively, yeah. The commercial commercial fisheries, the match fisheries, and stuff like that. Um, they, yeah, like I've we. Because what we do at the farm, we we breed everything in house, as I said. So we we do have a lot of small fish, like the ones we brought up to up to you this winter. So we we've got to get rid of all our small fish because we only want to keep a certain number. And um, yeah, I've, I've been to quite a lot of match fisheries this year with sort of pound, two pound fish, and and some of the little ones like you had. And um, yeah, it's I, I've not really stocked a lot of real commercial fisheries um up till the last few years and i i sort of came out of fisheries management just as those f1s really started appearing on the scene i remember chatting to the guy that bred that was supplying them first and um is that simon yeah that's it yeah yeah, yeah. and i was sort of like oh and they're not my cup of tea keith I'll, I'll hold my hands up i'm i'm a bit of a purist i don't even like ghost carp all right so um they've a carp should be brown like in my mind and and not have any like orange bits in it or ghosty bits in it um and a crucian carp should be a crucian carp and a goldfish should be a goldfish in my head um i totally get the the reason why why fisheries like them that they don't grow as quickly and stuff like that and they feed longer in the season i've got nothing against them I, I, you know they're, they're, but they're a they're a genuine fish commodity Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not bred to be good-looking. No, no. They're not, they're they not bred the to be decorative in any way. They're a commodity for a commercial fishery to stock and use. And, and people get a bit upset when I describe fish as commodities. Some anglers get very upset. When it, but when you're, a, when you're running, it's like when people... I, I, I complain when people want their football club to invest five times what they earn in a couple of players so they'll win a cup. But they will then go skint, and we've or, or close to skint, and we've seen that happen. And you know, fisheries, people that build fisheries, build them to make a profit, and to make a profit, they need fish. Yes, and yeah. They can either go down the the the, the VS fisheries route and have beautiful looking fish, and and not many of them create a great demand that way, or they can go down the F one route and fill the lake with fish. And the more people catch, the more they'll go back, and 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 then have to put another lot in five years' time. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely, and it's it's and and thank God we have the variety we do within yeah. within fishing, really, because it's um and I enjoy I've enjoyed all aspects of it in my life, right? So from match absolutely. fishing right through to the, the specimen hunting or just going fishing, right? I've enjoyed that an awful lot as well. Mm. And um, yeah, it's it's something that. Um, I think from a, yeah from a personal point of view I wouldn't want to go and fish for them they don't do anything for me and that's what I need in my fishing now is is something that gives me a buzz when I catch them and I want to take their picture uh, um <laughs> um but yeah I, I totally understand from a from a fishery manager's point of view and like a lot of a lot of our customers that we deal with at VS fisheries they're they're syndicates they're they're not there to make money as such as long as they pay the rent and can afford a few fish and and keep the fishery up together a lot of a lot of the syndicates are run on that basis they're not Mm. they're not there to earn the owner a living because 
most of us are off working and earning well, probably more money doing other jobs than running fisheries mm. at times but um it's it's something yeah I'm, and it's it's interesting there's um there are some some issues i think with with that hybridization side of it in terms of the actual health of the animal right, and their longevity which again I, and funny enough i was i was doing a talk to a to an angling club over in uh thameside uh, um over in kent last night um and I don't describe fishery managers now as as fishery managers. They're the the guardians, right? They're they're livestock people. They've got to look after those fish now. Yes. And and the whole of my life, I've been very conscious of the view of angling from the general public, uh, and hence why the lime recycling and all that has always meant a lot to me. Um, because um, as a sport. Uh, which I'm very fortunate and, and you have you've made a living out of doing what we do uh, um, and it's it's something that I, I think we've got to be very careful as, as fishery as anglers I'm just going to call us all anglers Keith like whether yes. you're a fishery owner or or we've got to be very conscious of um, how the public views what we do uh, um, because it's something that um, and but on the other hand without without us the rivers would be in one hell of a state the fisheries would like the lakes would be all overgrown and like going to swamps and stuff like that so we we play a vital role in managing the freshwater environment without a doubt as as anglers and fishery owners and stuff like that but mm. it's um we, we ultimately keith the general public and the legislation is going towards f- animal welfare uh, and stuff like that and and we've got to be shown as a sport to be conscious of that and doing the right thing and making sure that those fish um or as you as you rightly say that commodity that the people are buying have as long a lifespan as healthier lifespan um and are cared for right? yes, but then exactly. like to well to, to be blunt at the end of the day we we stick a bit of metal in their in their gob and and pull them out and it's that but when you say it as simply as that Keith if you said that to the general public what would they think of us really and and we we've got to be shown that we're managing things well and every fishery that that we fish nowadays is not a natural fishery um a, a natural lake may hold I don't know couple hundred pound of fish of all species right there's not many natural lakes in no 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 and very very few natural lakes that's why we've got the lake districts because that's where they all are yeah yeah every every other lake is if if sooner at one time or another somebody stuck a a ditch across a a dam across a river or they dug a great big hole because they wanted the sand or the concrete or you know there's very few the mears in cheshire came from salt mine depression all sorts of all, all sorts of reasons for lakes but very very few of them if you go back far enough are truly we've allowed them to become natural yes yeah absolutely and even with the fisheries that have been like that i've been involved with like the likes of raisbury one and stuff like that um like and everyone's like well that's that's ridiculously low stock of carp like 30 40 fish in 120 acres but actually if you added up the pike and the roach and the bream and stuff like that they that might be classed 
right um as the scientists do as a natural lake like it might only yeah. be a couple hundred pounds but that's that's an exception there's very few fisheries with that low stocking density nowadays so as the guardians of those fisheries um and like i said that's i include anglers because we're there we're as anglers we're the ones catching the fish so we we've got a duty to look after them as as much as the owner has um mm. uh all the lakes out there that we fish are running at above natural levels so we they need to be managed and managed well um yes uh, and even yes if you've got very low stock sort of carp syndicates and carp lakes that's that's fine like they probably don't take a lot of managing right um i would guess probably the anglers take more managing than the fish really but um it's it's something that um yeah but when you get to those stocking levels that we're seeing with with the commercial fisheries and things like that um we we've got to be very conscious of that and 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 the fish that we buy to put into those really um they they cannot be seen as a commodity keith in my mm. mind because it's only gonna that that's gonna buy angling in the bum at uh, mm. uh, some stage in the future i'm really not convinced of that i, I think if you start thinking of them let, let's compare a zoo to the savannah yes there's going to be more lions in a zoo than there are in the savannah and they're going to have to be very well looked after and they're going to be maintained and and and, and the other things that you need and they're going to have to have bits of antelope or, or lamb yes, yeah, chopped yeah. up and, and fed to them. It, it, it isn't the same. Um, and nobody would ever say that a lion in a zoo is wild. Um, whereas you could say that a carp in Raysbury is wild. Yes. You couldn't yes. say a carp in, I don't know, pick a commercial fishery, a, a, a match commercial fishery, a heavily stock. You couldn't ever say that is wild. So those fish are managed as a commodity and their life probably will be shorter because there won't be the room for them to reach their full, um, their full status, especially carp. I think roach will live a long time and bream and those, those will. I mean, Roy Marlowe told me that in his fishery, he reckons that the full life of a bream is less than 10 years. Now I know because I've watched the bream down here, I watched bream grow for 40 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, yes. And In, um, down here. Sorry. Just out of my right window is the Thames. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And oh, I, 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 yeah. I agree with you in that respect keith i think in terms of yes like in in those environments like the longevity of the fish and their ability to reach their true potential if they were in a in a in a wilder environment should we say um yes it is compromised um but i feel i still think we have a a duty of care uh, in terms of stocking levels and making sure fish are fed well enough like to carry out a healthy life like, and and everyone goes well a healthy fish is a growing fish yes yes i agree with that definitely as a fish farmer like like fish will grow but i know of a lot of places where fish will get to a, a maximum sort of 10 12 15 pounds yes. like, because that's the nature of the lake um and those fish are bloody healthy like they don't need yeah. to grow to 50 pound carp like relatively as soon as a carp gets to four like, or a female carp gets to sort of four summers old like 
when they're spawning they've achieved what they need in life they're reproducing yep. so um and they will produce will reproduce for the rest of their lives even if they're only ever 10 12 pound you look at like the old cricket bat commons right the sort yeah. of wildy commons uh, um so yeah it's it, it's it's i think it's about getting a balance i think keith in terms of mm, like exactly. we we can't what we need to do is rather than go right well we're going to lose a load of fish every five years we're going to go well what we'll do is we'll buy some food during the winter when there's not a lot of match anglers around um feed the fish so they're healthier in the spring and then yep. we'll lose less next spring and so we might get 10 years out of that batch of fish if you know what i mean we, we've got to be seen to be sort of maximizing their their longevity and stuff like that yeah. so it's um it's a tricky one mate yeah and, it is and I, I want to go on to the, the um the lime recycling scheme that that, that, that you just mentioned um, and but one thing you, you've just hit another one of my um hobby horses at the moment the styles of match fishing have changed to be far more bait economical yes when i was regularly fishing matches on carp waters i could quite readily get rid of two bags of pellets in a day two two kilo bags was nothing fishing shallow either the pellet waggler or the the, the shallow on the pole or lashing it in down the margin that doesn't happen anymore it's now if you put bait in in the margin it's normally ground bait and fishing a method feeder a method feeder is one mouthful for one carp or one bream. Yes, yeah, so not the method feeder I know, yeah. <laughs> ten fish to catch one, yeah. you're feeding one fish to catch one. Yes. And, and that isn't feeding the fish and growing the fish. And I looked at somebody posted a picture of a couple of fish on, on, on Facebook the other day. They'd caught from one of their club waters. I know you deal with the club. They're fantastic fish and they look like wildies. But they're not. They're, they're, they're mirrors that are in, a, in an environment where... They're not eat. They're eating enough because they fight hard. They're they're beautiful condition, but they're not big fat mirrors that you you'd see in in someone like you mentioned Raysbury, someone like Raysbury or Save. That they're, they're they're not the shape of fish you'd see there because they're not getting that amount of food to eat. And and I mentioned that to and he, he, you know he sort of straight to his fishery manager. Oh no, what are we going to do? He said the fish are skinny and and. They are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that's because it's a, it's a pond primarily fished by, I, I hate the word pleasure angler, but I don't know another one. They're fished by, let's call them normal anglers. They're yeah, fished by normal yeah. anglers. And normal anglers don't throw a lot of bait in. No, oh no, 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 absolutely. Carp anglers will put in three or four kilos. Match anglers will not anymore, but they used to. But the, the average angler will throw in... A handful of maggots and, and or a handful of tennis sweet corn and like yeah yeah a bit of corn yeah. Which, yeah. which you know goes in one end and comes out the other virtually intact. So yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it, 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 as you say, it's a, it's a real dichotomy. But over winter feeding, more fisheries are definitely doing that now. Yes, yeah, and, and they yeah. are seeing massive improvements. Yeah, but you know, commercial fisheries are only on on average twenty five years old, if that. And they're still on this massive learning curve. Some of them are still on their first generation of fish. Some of their fish are still yeah. originals that, that, that stopped straight away. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I've, I'll go back to Florida. I've been, I've been going to Florida for 25 years, fishing in the Florida Keys. And on every dock and on every pier and on every bridge, anywhere that anglers can fish, any bit of beach, nailed to a post will be a bit of, bit of pipe with an elbow at the top with... Usually, I think sponsored by Berkeley everywhere out there. Yeah, many are. Yeah, yeah. Where you put your discarded line, and I thought, what a great idea! 
Um, and why isn't it here? And then suddenly the ANLRS came along and it was here and it was reality. What what convinced you to start it? Um, I, I, for, I, I'm not going to take credit for this by any means um, in terms of starting the scheme. Um, well, you as the ANLRS. Yeah, um, it was, I suppose, the original idea started down here in Sussex where we're based and Steve Tapp, the guy I run the scheme with, um, who obviously you met Steve, he's, um, um, he saw something on, um, I think it was BBC South about, uh, recycling commercial fishing nets. So monophenomic gill nets and commercial trawls and stuff like that. Um, and he, he suddenly went, like, well, there's if mono gill nets are exactly the same as we use as, as sea anglers. Like Steve's a yeah. sea angler, he does a bit of course fishing as well and stuff like that in his in his past. But um, and basically there was a little sea angling group that I was a member of. Um, oh, I probably joined it five six years ago, something like that. Um, and sort of this discussion went on, and and a few of the local sort of seafront tackle shops down in in sort of Sussex. Um, we said, how about putting a bin in there and chucking all your old line in there, like then? And, and it's we it ran for a couple of years um, locally, and that was then I sort of sat down, and obviously my my sort of history is in the freshwater sector really and I'm very fortunate I've met a lot of the people from the tackle trade and the fisheries trade and stuff like that and and I said well I'll and I'll give you a hand and again it, it all it all harps back for me Keith about the image that we portray as anglers because um uh, the amount of litter we see around the countryside uh, or just along the motorway uh, um, I drove up to Hull yesterday and back and it's just embarrassing we're an awful species uh, for this for this planet really uh, um, we we make a hell of a lot of mess and and as much as you can say like and if you see a coke bottle like, on on the riverbank like a lot of the general public would go that's probably an angler dropped it there because there was someone there fishing the other day. Uh, it probably wasn't the angler because most anglers are very, very conscious about like, the environment and stuff like that. And But the one thing we can't argue with is fishing line. Like, there is no other source yep. of fishing line other than anglers. Um, yep. And so I sort of said, well, we'll try and roll this out sort of more, more on a national basis. And that's when we came up with the ANLRS. Um, and that was, God, what was that? 2018. We started that Keith at the big one at Farnborough. I sort mm-hmm. of went round and saw a few old faces that I knew in the trade and went, what do you reckon to this? And we signed up, I think we had six or eight tackle shops signed up at that point in Sussex. And then we sort of launched it really after the big one. And, um, we were like, well, if we can get 50 shops around the country in the first year, that would be amazing. Uh, and and within about four months, we had 120 tackle shops. Uh, and we were like, oh, crikey, this is this is going off, isn't it, really? And and it, it's really gone from there, Keith. And it's 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 snowboard now. Um, we're up to, I think we've got 355 tackle shops signed up around the country which I don't know I'm, I've, I've been trying to find out a number of tackle shops in the UK and it's impossible to find out without going through every yellow pages for the whole country but and, and um, most of those will be out of date anyway it was I, I can tell you when I was in the trade 
One of the easy ways is to ask one of the major suppliers how many accounts they've got. And, and, and I think... I think it was something like 1800 really right okay right yeah when, when I, i've not been in i've not been actively in the trade for 25 years don't yeah that. yeah i, um, I think but, the general vibe i'm getting through chat like i said i've done exactly that i've asked a lot of the sort of the bigger players that i know um and the the general consensus seems to be about a thousand a thousand tackle yeah. shops now maybe just over so so we've in four years, we've we've got thirty five percent of of yeah. all tackle shops signed up, which is good. Um, and probably sixty five, seventy percent of the turnover. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, indeed, right, absolutely, and and we've got, I think we're up to about one hundred and fifty fisheries now that have got bins on there. Mm. Um, I can't say too much, but we've just um, started a project with um, the biggest inland freshwater fishery in the uk right i'll leave that as a bit of a, a quiz question for someone night no, someone you you'll probably know who i'm but but we've, we've just signed up to put 30 34 bins around or they found funding to put 34 of our bins around this fishery um which is very 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 big um About 27 miles around something like that um even bigger than that keith right yeah wow. even bigger than that so um I, we we probably wouldn't call it a fishery as such, on the, if as an angler. But um, oh, then, then yes, yeah, sorry, I was thinking of one single. No, no, there. no. It's it's. No, uh, I, I, um, I, well, they're connected, shall we say? I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to give it away no, if no, I say no, any more. No, but no, no, no. No, but I'm just thinking of the biggest, the biggest yes, lake. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's it's not that one. But um, no, no. we yeah, and it all been bits nine foot long there. The the initial reason they contacted us was because um a certain village right in in the area there there was quite an upwelling of anti-angling right because some a a minority and i will always say a minority keith um in terms of anglers um had decided that it was quite acceptable to leave a load of line lying around bait packaging and stuff like that and and the locals right decided they didn't like that right and so what what we've done we've we're going to put bins around around there um to try and show them that anglers actually do care and uh, Mm. but also the general public can pick up any fishing line they find and 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 then put it like put it in the bins and what we what we did a couple of years ago we started putting bins on the coast as well um, especially down in Sussex here and the response from the general public so we've um, we've we collected Oh, hundreds of thousands of meters of fishing line off off local beaches and stuff like that over the course of the summer um um and then last this time last year we started a project with the global ghost gear initiative and ocean conservancy they gave us some funding to do a an in-depth study right, um about coastal fishing waste right and in that i mean recreational as in angling waste and that from um commercial fishing right so trawlers crab pop crab boats all that sort of stuff and and we've just finished the the year-long project now and over uh, i think it's about 28 miles of the south coast um we've removed 1.7 tons of um commercial nets and fishing line thank thankfully um 
about four percent of that is recreationally re- related yeah. right? um so um but again it, it equated to over a quarter of a million meters right so it's mm. it's still a lot of line that that has yeah. been found washed up right? um and that sort of side and and you but the engagement with the general public has been exceptional keith and their response to it going oh my god what an amazing idea and and from my point of view that's anglers showing the general public that we care right, first and foremost right, um and that we're almost willing to solve other people's problems and it's it's i think it's brilliant mate and i think your fish are brilliant and one day i'll get out with you on your charter boat whether it's for tuna or not um absolutely but we won't be um we won't be strangers that's for sure viv i, I we better leave it there because um, I've got to do the washing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and have my dinner. Right, yeah. So, oh, right. oh well, no, it, it's soup day today. Homemade, homemade soup today. But anyway, listen, listen, pal. It's, it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you. It always is a real pleasure. No, brilliant, Keith. Absolute pleasure as ever, and we will no doubt see you very soon. I hope so. Cheers. Thanks so much to Viv Shears for that insight into his very varied involvement with angling. The loss to veterinary surgery is our gain, that's for sure. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe, even share, if you want to, the Strange Boat Podcast. I'll be back very soon with another crew. There are some crackers lined up, so make sure you're subscribed to be amongst the first to find out. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight lines. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis, and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus, and it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets some thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Sports Social Podcast Network It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.